1: And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
0: Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With Diamond Jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at
2: Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is Solvable. I'm Jacob Weisberg. The reason
3: why girls are not at school Poverty is the culprit, you know? Poverty continues to force cruel solutions on on parents, and I think that needs to be understood.
2: Poverty can take many forms. It can mean that families can't afford school fees or basic supplies like pens, pencils, and stationery. Or families may just need the children to help with work and childcare at home. Whatever the reasons, it's estimated that there are currently more than 50 million girls who've left school before receiving their high school diplomas. Those who do manage to complete their schooling usually have more support from their families and communities.
3: And I remember feeling very guilt and very torn that I had gotten the chance that they also, you know, needed. But, you know, I think some people call it survivor guilt. But it's just that's the heartbreaking part of it.
2: When Angeline Muramirwa was a young girl in rural Zimbabwe, she was nominated by her community to receive additional support for her education. That support proved essential for her success. She now helps to run the nonprofit that helped her, the Campaign for Female Education. It works to keep girls in school across the African continent. Universal quality education is a human right and one of the UN's sustainable development goals. It's understood to be a basic requirement for any country that hopes to flourish. And it's a goal that the world's nations had been getting closer to achieving Between the years 2000 and 2018, primary school completion rates rose from 70% to 84% globally. And before the pandemic arrived, it was expected that nearly 90% of all school-aged children would be able to complete primary school by the year 2030. As part of Solvable's setback series, we're talking with leaders around the world about the pandemic, and how to get goals like universal education back on track.
3: COVID has been very, very brutal.
2: But Muramirwa sees COVID-19 not only as a setback, but also as an opportunity.
3: If we have learned, we should actually be able to expedite our solutions to the crisis that we face. This should actually move us ahead faster because we have learned. My name is Angeline Engie Muramirwa. I'm the executive director for CAMFED. Our work as CAMFED solves the problem of girls' exclusion from education.
2: Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Just to get started, could you describe the gap in women's and girls' education in Africa?
3: Well, the figures that we have got that are official so far and from UNESCO is that before COVID, We had over 52 million girls who were out of school in sub-Saharan Africa. We're
2: very focused right now on the question of problems that were getting better and that have gone into reverse because of the global pandemic. And I wonder what impact COVID-19 has had on girls' education. I know that in Africa, in many countries, the, the numbers are much better than they've been in many places in the developed world. But I assume that there are also different kinds of second order effects. So what impact has the pandemic
3: had? COVID has been very, very brutal. And yes, it's true that you know in Africa, we had improvements in terms of uh, access to primary education for most children. But what has COVID done is uh, started eroding the gains that have been made in that space as families started losing income. uh, We're not even talking about the school closure, the prolonged school closure. So as much as uh, online learning was introduced as, as a response by most governments, it was amazing and awesome for the children that could access it and afford it. But it also meant that for the majority of the children that we work with as an organization were in the hardest to reach communities. They did not get uh, support with online learning. So as a result of it, I know for a fact that, you know, our alumni network uh, supported with uh, printed out materials. They were doing social distance study groups and and all that. But, you know, it is the duty of the government to also ensure that uh, quality education is provided to every child. But COVID actually exposed that, we We have issues of equity, you know, informed by technology, you know, access for various families. So yes, just to say that, uh, unfortunately, COVID has exacerbated the inequality in Africa, particularly in education on boys and girls, but also on those that could afford it and those that can't, also on urban and rural.
2: Have schools been closed in, in many countries in Africa? What does the picture look like there with actually the basic question of whether children are going to school?
3: Uh, The majority of um, African countries closed schools at the onset of COVID that was last year. And uh, right now, schools are opened, at least I know that for a fact, across uh, five African countries, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Malawi, Tanzania, and Ghana. But it's heartbreaking to see what, what COVID has done. We have had situations where we have seen most girls, particularly Now, having to take up more household chores than they were doing before the pandemic. But we've also seen a lot of children actually take up work in order to sustain their families. And when we say work, we're talking about working in other people's fields, uh, working in casual labor because, you know, because of restrictions, markets were closed family income fell. So we had uh, children stepping in to sustain families of basics. This is even worse for child-headed families where you've got um, often the older child taking care of the rest of the family or where there are grandparents-headed families where the grandparents are too old themselves to fend for the children. So you have children we have had to work to be able to to sustain themselves. Unfortunately, that also goes with issues of, um, you know, transactional sex or, you know, like girls being taken advantage of in, in exchange for food and all that. So those have been the, you know, some of the exacerbated crises uh, due to COVID. And this is mainly because of the response to COVID, where restrictions were put to help the spread.
2: Discrimination against girls takes different forms, obviously, in different parts of Africa and in North Africa versus West Africa, Central Africa. The opposite of school for for girls in Africa is often increased poverty, full-time work and child marriage. That's another way to look at the statistics about what's happening. Where is the problem the worst and where are you seeing the greatest progress?
3: You know the issue of girls exclusion they like you said it takes so many forms there is exclusion from education totally you know like where girls not in school but there's also exclusion within the system where girls do not have the academic self esteem to participate where girls do not have the confidence to be able to participate so from our research as an organization academic uh, self-esteem is the second highest after poverty in terms of girls' participation in school. And I think you know that Africa, there's huge uh, challenges of child marriage, but we actually you know, discovered that actually child marriage is not the reason why girls are not in school. It's actually mm. a result of girls not being in school. So when girls are in school, they are least likely to be to be married because they are in school. And also it addresses issues of adolescent pregnancy. The statistics have continued to show that that education actually protects girls. So I just want to be able to point out that it is important for us to continue to be nuanced and responsive to children in each context, rather than uh, probably over generalizing. Because, like you rightly say, there are varying levels or magnitude of the problem in, in each context and from each country. That's the tragedy of it.
2: Mm. CAMFED is the Campaign for Female Education, your, your organization. Can you tell me a little bit about how CAMFED works and what it does?
3: I love CAMFED. Uh, and and just just to say that i'm actually one of the very first girls supported by comfort through school and and comfort supported me at a time in my life when i was about to drop out of school i was transitioning from primary to secondary school so i know comfort quite intimately so what comfort does is it supports families without the financial means to support their children through school. So we meet our old school going costs. We're talking about issues of stationary, pencils, pants, sanitary wear, and uh, where children have to travel long distances, we also support them with that. But the most important thing that I want to be able to share here is that CAMFED responds to each and every individual child's barriers to education and works with the community to be able to address that. So today, CAMFED has supported over 4.8 million children to go to school across Africa.
2: So tell me a little more about your story. You said when you were finishing primary school, it wasn't a given that you were going to stay in school. Is that right? And was that when CAMFED began to support you?
3: Sure. So, um, okay, let me just give you a bit of background on me. I, I went, I'm the first born in a family of, you know, five children. So I went to- You grew up in school.
2: Zimbabwe. I'm sorry, just to start even f- further back. Yes. <laughs>
3: sure. <laughs> I'll start from there. So I, I was born in, uh, I grew up in a rural village in Zimbabwe called some some um, the southeast part of Harare, which is the capital city. As I went through primary school, I, I had to work- you know, in other people's seals, but also I remember really washing people's dishes. So such basic things as pencils and excise books. And um, when I received my primary school living certificate, I had the best possible results in the country. But as young as I was at that time, I knew that there was no way my parents could afford the cost of secondary school because, come on, you're starting from uh, just doing four subjects at primary. At secondary school, we're doing like over nine subjects. You needed more books, more pens to write in. You needed more decent clothes. And I was getting older as well. So that's that's at the point when I knew that I there was no way. My results were just not enough to get me to secondary school. So that's when CAMFED was also starting to work in my community. And I was selected for support. And CAMFED started supporting me at that time through secondary school.
2: And what did that support consist of? What else did they provide?
3: I got decent clothes. For the first time, I had a school uniform, which meant that I looked like any other child who was in school. I had not worn any new parents' shoes at at all. So when we were about uh, to go for shoe fitting, everybody was saying size 6. So come on, I also didn't want to embarrass myself, so I just said size 6. Turns out that I wore size 8. So those are some of the decent uh, clothes that, that we talk about, about ensuring that even children that are coming from the most disadvantaged families can also participate confidently within such systems as well. For the first time, I was not worried about um, being asked to leave the classroom because I had not paid school fees to go home and collect it because that's the practice. If you have not paid, you're asked to go home and collect it. I knew that it was never there. So for the first time, I learned without fear. But I just also want to point out that uh, there was a point during that phase in my life where there was a lot of guilt because when I was selected for support, I was uh, one of the girls from my school. So I supported as 21 into secondary school from various schools. But I had, you know, fellow colleagues from primary school that did not get the same chance. And I remember feeling very guilt and very torn that I had gotten the chance that they also, you know, needed but you know i think some people call it survivor guilt but it's just that's the heartbreaking part of it that um, when resources are limited and you first have to select and which is the crisis that we're facing with covid right now that there's just so much need it's it's heartbreaking but i just want to be able to say that this the local community selected me and yeah i am i not only know what it means <laughs> to be excluded at one point but i also understand personally and intimately the potential that comes with that and just how much more you can do as an individual and as a collective.
2: What kind of impact has CampFit had on a village like the one you grew up in Zimbabwe? Have, have Has it supported other girls going to school from that same village? And what, what other sort of effects does that have?
3: So what it has meant is that, you know, as we graduate through school, we also are very much uh, anchored and, um, inspired to do something within our community. So as I speak to you right now, as the first group of young women supported through School by Comfort, we started what we call the Comfort Association, which is a network of young women leaders that are paying it forward literally. So we 178,000 members now and and counting. And each of us on average supports three more girls to go to school. So you ask what has been the impact? The, The major impact has been, you know, the sustainability through the commitment by former beneficiaries or clients of comfort to be able to support like next generation of children. So by one graduating, three more are graduating. So that's that's the phenomenal impact.
2: And Angie, you mentioned this feeling of survivor's guilt, which is quite understandable, being someone who is supported in this way in a community of, of, where, where most people don't, and most women, most girls don't have that opportunity. Um, I wonder how people in the community do treat Someone in your position, people in your family, people in the place you grew up, was there envy, pride? What's the reaction to, to the girls who get this support and prosper in the way you have?
3: The beauty of the comfort model is that it's, it's very thought through. So just to say from, from my part, the fact that the community itself identified me for support meant that there was the sense of ownership and the sense of pride that this is what we have enabled. And that means that girls are celebrated in the community. I can give you multiple examples where community members have stepped up and assisted my mother in various ways to be able to make sure that I stayed in school, even with comfort support. Because one of the things that we have learned as an organization is that it's not just about the financial means, it's also about the psychosocial support that children need to be able to stay in school. I was crying, I was weeping, most of the time I was really not in in the classroom. And then I learned later that you need to decide how you use every opportunity you get. I started looking at this as an opportunity to do better by me and for the community that it trusted me rather than feeling like uh, you know it's okay for all of us to wallow in poverty and and you know end like that. And the fact that these young women are coming back and supporting on average three other children who are not even their relatives continues to Increase communal support for supporting more and more girls to go through this. Because it's more like comfort has become the gift that continues to give through what is enabled within every community. Small business owners, this one's for
0: you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Listen to the Unshakeables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business.
1: Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm wondering how much it costs to support a girl in school via CAMFED in, in Africa.
3: It's uh, actually basically just $150 per year for one year of uh, supporting a girl through secondary school. That's the average cost per year.
2: So in the, in the United States, that sounds like nothing. Um, And you said you supported nearly 5 million girls through school. What's the scale that you think the organization can achieve? And what's the the ultimate goal? Is it parity between girls and boys?
3: Our vision as an organization has always been a world in which each and every child is educated, protected, respected, valued, and grows up to turn the tide of poverty. Every child. And and our strategic plan over the next five years is to support five million more girls through school. And I, I think you realize that you know we've supported close to five million since '93, and we're going to support five million in five years. That's ambitious, but we're also counting on the support of um, our comfort association, which is we're actually trebling the support that you know we're providing as an organization at the moment.
2: So looking at tr- forward to the end of the pandemic, do you think there is going to be a lasting deficit from that? Or do you think we will quickly get back to where we were before the pandemic in relation to girls' education in Africa?
3: We need to pull up our socks in a very big way because the pandemic exposed, like I said earlier, on the disparities in the system that we already knew existed, but they just exacerbated them.
2: Do you think COVID sets back your cause of girls' education in Africa for a year or two, and then we get back to where we were? Or is this something that sets us back a generation?
3: Over 97.4% of our children, like of the girls that we're supporting, came back to school, returned to school. That's not true for the majority of other children who didn't have the same social support. So that's an area that we need to work on. We also need to address issues around, of course, teacher training, issues around ensuring that we continue to recognize that, you know, girls exclusion is still an issue, even after the pandemic. For me, it's, it's, you know, for us as an organization, it's continuously ensuring that there's this pipeline of young people that continues to be supported and support the next generation too. You know, having 52 million girls out of school in sub-Saharan Africa is nowhere where we want to go. But I acknowledge the fact that this really set us back in terms of the progress that we have made. But the lessons that come from tragedy means that if we have learned and when I say we, I mean, not just civil society, I mean, the government, everybody who is working in education or in rights, in climate, everything. If we have learned, we should actually be able to expedite our solutions to the crisis that we face. This should actually move us ahead faster because we have learned that these are this not hypothetical realities around things could get worse. They did get worse in a way that we all didn't think it would. We saw a lot of flight of people that had um, basically just been planted into communities to be able to work with communities. When COVID hit, people started leaving and, and local communities had to find their own food. So if we invest and build on our lessons around local engagement, local ownership of issues, local capacity building, but also built on the opportunities that are through technology, I don't see a reason why we shouldn't be able to gallop further faster than we've done over the past few years.
2: As you say, educating girls has so many positive effects on other problems. I think part of the reason you've, uh, CampFed has attracted so much high profile support. Um, I know that um, Megan and Harry listed it as one of the charities they they were supporting. Rihanna has been a supporter of yours. Nick Kristoff, the New York Times columnist, um, at the end of the year makes suggestions of what charities people should support. And CAMFED was at the top of his list this year. You, what you're doing is is getting noticed. Yep. What, uh, what else has to happen for your organization to be able to do as much as it's capable of doing to scale its response?
3: Yeah, I'll say to you what I've said to a lot of people over the past year, particularly the work of COVID and everything. Continue to invest in girls' education. You support me, I support three more, you know, that's the worth investment, right? That's the most important thing. Talk to your friends, talk to your you know, colleagues and everything. The problem is real, but so is the solution. It's so simple and so straightforward. You need to tell a different narrative. And I look forward to that.
2: Does your model have application beyond Africa or is the situation just too different in different parts of the world?
3: Uh, our My better world, which is the, you know, the, the curriculum that have been used across the spectrum, there have been huge demand for it to be used uh, beyond Africa. Because at the center of it is the principal accountability to the child. To the child's needs, to the child's reality, to the child's priority. How do we make the child the non-negotiable component of our intervention? And I believe that's universally acceptable everywhere. But it's also ensuring that this is done in total engagement and liaison of the community of the parents as equal partners, not just as mere recipients of aid. So I believe that this is applicable across the spectrum. And its replication across Africa, actually, with speed and ease is also proved that.
2: Yeah. Angie, as an educator, I know you think about what kinds of tools are going to get people to really understand the problem, not just pass the test by knowing the facts, but really relate to it. And I wonder if there are books or movies or things that you would recommend to our listeners who want to really understand better what you're talking about.
3: I have phenomenal resources that I could share. There is a film done quite recently by I-D-A-N, like Y-I-D-A-N. It was I-D-A-N Prize for Education Development, which is revolutionizing how girls' education is delivered. You can listen to that. It covers my, myself and my colleague, Lucy, like as we talk about our work as well. That's something that worth listening to. There's Nick Christoph um, and Cheryl's book, uh, Half the Sky, Turning Oppression into Opportunity yeah. for Women Worldwide. There is a chapter also that talks about my life and where I started from, but more than that, it also talks about, you know, the fact that actually Talent is universal, opportunity is not. So how do we make a difference? So I think that's that's really good. I also have a book that um, I, I really like that helped me and um, my, my fellow sisters, like you know, the Confed Association members to understand our reality as, as we graduated from school. And it's a book by Amartya Sen, Development as Freedom, because yes. it talks about just, you know, just that, you know, Development, um, is freedom. Uh, that's, that's lens that I never really perceived my life through. And that's, you know, that's what helped us structure karma in a big way when we're just starting the comfort association in a big way. When we're just starting to look at ourselves as, you know, how is this education widening our freedom as, as young women from patriarchal communities? As young women were the first in our communities to graduate. So I think. That's another book that I'd recommend. And finally, uh, Maxine Molina talks about uh, gender justice, development and rights. So there's an article that she wrote in a book that I would recommend that you also read because it talks about power and how just opportunity also allows to challenge power as it's perceived in various communities. And for me, this is also about gender justice. So... I would say those are the four articles, but there's just so much to read out there. But I also just admit that some of the work I don't agree with <laughs> around uh, that talks about you know culture as the reason why girls are not in school. Poverty is the culprit, you know. Poverty continues to force cruel solutions on, on parents. And I think that needs to be understood. So I would say look for articles that talk about that. me the, the most important message that i i just want to be able to reiterate is that girls education continues to be a problem but it's solvable and we can do something in this generation to make the world a better place you know all the challenges that we face today improved incomes for families we talk about climate action can be solved um, you know, through investing in education. So I just want to be able to say that, you know, that's that's the most important area to invest in.
2: Angie, thanks for joining us on Solvable.
3: Thank you so much for this. I appreciate it.
2: Angeline Muramirwa is executive director of the Campaign for Female Education or CAMFED. To learn more about access to education and the rest of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, please check out the links in our episode notes. Solvable senior producer is Jocelyn Frank. Research and booking by Lisa Dunn. Catherine Girardot is our managing producer, and our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Solvable is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us. It helps us get the word out. You can find Pushkin Podcasts wherever you listen, including on the iHeartRadio app and on Apple Podcasts. I'm Jacob Weisberg.